Blog Talk Radio. Why did I then cash his woe? 
Welcome, folks, to another hour of the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones, Ph.D. from the College of William and Mary. It's January 15th. Wow. 2014. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. The call in number is 347-884-8500. His pen and his phone. Obama says, I've got a pen, and I've got a phone, and we're not going to wait for legislation. We're not going to wait for Congress to move. He said this before. We're going to go ahead and put forth legislation using a pen and the phone as if he were, um, I don't know, a dictator, perhaps. You know – When Ronald Reagan and George Bush, and even to a lesser extent Bill Clinton, used executive action, no one was talking about uh, impeachment or the fact that they were misusing their their authority. Uh, Not many, anyway. There were some on the left who were, Um, but uh, not many. And saying that what they were doing is against the law and all that. But you see… President Obama gives off the attitude that he can do whatever he wants. The laws, procedure, constitution be damned. Yeah. So he's got that attitude. And so now we've got a congressman, a Democrat congressman, demanding that Obama raise the minimum wage via executive order. Can he really do that? If a GOP president abused his power the way Dems want Obama to, uh, Obama to, people like Ellison would be self-emoting, immolating, sorry, immolating, like uh, fire blowing up, you know, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. This is from uh, Weasel Zippers on the Fox Nation website. Via salon. One day after, a top Obama administration official 
deflected a congressman's call for executive action to raise labor standards for contractors. Activists on Wednesday announced the filing of a new department labor complaint over alleged wage theft in a government building. The complaint alleges that dozens of workers in D.C.'s government-owned union station are owed over $3 million in back pay and damages for rampant failure to pay minimum wage or overtime. If the federal contractor thinks that they can steal the pay of workers, it's very hard to believe that they would voluntarily pay those workers more money. Representative Keith Ellison, a Democrat from Minnesota, told reporters on a call via uh, Change to Win. Of course they're not going to do that, Ellison, and fellow Congressman Progressive Caucus co-chair Ryan Grajavala. Oh, man, I probably got that right. Democrat from Arizona. They're among 50 members of Congress who've urged Obama to wield executive authority to act more pro-labor stand to enact more pro-labor standards for federal contractors. <sighs> so use the pen. He's uh, it's a dictatorial. You know, my fellow citizens, my fellow Americans, my fellow conservatives, what Obama is doing is setting the stage for another revolution here in this country, another civil war. And that's what, the, that's what he's setting the stage for. Does he actually believe that he can get away with this sort of behavior? And where's the backbone in the conservative, uh, the conservative wing, the conservative media, the conservative uh, uh, Congress? Where are they? I don't recall a time, and perhaps you can call in or text or, or, or chat or come in the chat room and, 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 and refresh my memory on when there was a time when the conservatives and the congressmen challenged Obama's abuse of power in the court system. How many times has his uh, executive action or executive authority been challenged in the court system? Because an injunction can be obtained, a stay. But he, what's happening, folks, is that conservatives in the Senate and in the House are, are just talking. They're barking. They're like barking dogs. Barking dogs don't bite. They just don't. They're warning you to stay away. But they're not going to bite you. So the conservatives are saying, oh, this is an abuse of power. It's an abuse of authority. It's a, it's a con- we're, having a, we're going to go into having a constitutional crisis. It's a big old mess. But they don't do anything. Boehner will probably throw out a few tears. He'll squirt a few. And the usual suspects in the conservative party will howl and cry and complain. But they won't do anything. They won't do anything. How many times has Boehner or any of the conservatives, Rubio, stood up to Obama and challenged his abuse of constitutional power in the courts. The only challenges I've heard of so far is Obamacare. Everybody's on that bandwagon challenging it in the court system when it first when it first appeared, when it first emerged. There's another article on Fox Nation. Obama's year of action. His year of action. You got to be kidding me. His year of action is an abuse of power. That's all it is. Obama's year of action. How could this be? Who's are we going to let this stand? Obama's year of action. Greta Van Susteren, Fox News host. 
says that Obama, President Obama, getting ready to bulldoze Washington, his master plan now exposed. In an email blast to supporters today, White House Senior Advisor Dan Fluffer, (laughs) it's the best I can do, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make fun of his name. Promises the president won't be waiting for Congress to act and will use every, yes, every executive tool available to get what he wants. Apparently, the year of action will all about executive action. So here we go. Obama as dictator. How many times have we joked about it? How many times have we talked about it on Blog Talk Radio that Obama's becoming a dictator? Well, here we go. Let the games begin. His year of action. He's not going to wait for Congress. He's not going to wait for legislation. He's just going to use his pen and his phone. Listen to the clip. We'll talk about it. Boots up. There we go. After this crash commercial, we'll get right into it. Like our renegade sirloin or our new spinach feta chicken. With a salad and a side, just eleven ninety nine. For flavor that defies the calorie count, you can't fake steak. Obama getting ready to bulldoze Washington, his master plan now exposed. In an email blast to supporters today, White House Senior Advisor Dan Pfeiffer promises the president won't be waiting for Congress to act and will use every, yes, every executive tool available to get what he wants. Apparently, the years of action will be all about executive action. If Congress continues to stand only for dysfunction and delay, then I'm going to move ahead without them. I'm going to do everything that that I can do without Congress. Whenever Congress refuses to act, uh, Joe and I, we're going to act. Even without Congress, with or without Congress, I'm going to act on my own. I've got a pen and I've got a phone. And I can use that pen to sign executive orders. So did President Obama miss the class about the three equal branches of government and separation of powers? Rush Limbaugh is not holding back. He can do executive orders to make things there. He can do executive orders and executive actions to get rid of the unfairness. You're going to make this lousy country finally fair. He's got these Republicans that are standing in his way. He's fine, okay, I'm going to just start writing executive orders. The hell with it. I'm going to finally make everything fair. Now, he might have a pen, and he might have a phone, but what he does not have is the constitutional power to run this country like a dictator. Carl Rove joins us. Nice to see you, Carl. Good to see you. All right, well, Rush Limbaugh says that the president doesn't have the power to run the country like a dictator. Is that what the president's doing with the executive order or something else? I'm deeply troubled by the president's use of his executive authority and abuse of his executive authority. Look, a president does have strong executive authority. But the president, for example, has unilaterally decided not to take our drug laws regarding marijuana and, and, and enforce them. If a state decides it doesn't want to live by the federal law, the president's ignoring the federal law. Immigration. We looked at the Bush during the Bush years and whether or not there was legal authority to exempt a class of people from enforcement of the law and concluded that there was absolutely no possibility of a president legally doing that. This president has suspended a part of the immigration law for a class of people. You can suspend the immigration law for individuals based on specific in, specific facts, but you can't do it for a class. And we're seeing this time and time again. We saw it on, on the, look, on Obamacare, we had those waivers in 2011 and 2012. We had a year delay of the employer mandate. Where was the authority to do that? They moved the dates for the sign-up and the payment. They have an exemptions for certain union plans. They now say that the individual mandate, if, you, if, you, if, if your plan that you wanted to keep was, was taken away from you, you can now declare a hardship and have a non-conforming plan. Where's the authority to do that? Well, I, I, think it's pretty, I think it's pretty fair to say that whatever Congress passed in terms of health care is not exactly what's being implemented no. right now. It's vastly different in Congress. At least the Republicans are squawking a bit. But I'm curious, where does that line go? Because the president does have executive authority. President Bush exercised at this time mm-hmm. in, his, uh, in his presidency 198 times, President Obama 167. So, but it's really not so much the number, but 
what you do with it. And I'm also mindful right. of the fact that the Supreme Court, even yesterday, the liberal members seem to be very disturbed at his recess appointments because the Senate wasn't right. really in recess. Well, that, that to me is very interesting. You're right. Yesterday, the Supreme Court had a review of a uh, D.C. Circuit Court opinion regarding the president unilaterally deciding that the Senate, which declared that it was not in recess, was in recess and thereby allowed him to make appointments to the National Labor Relations Board that he couldn't get past a Democrat Senate. They were so bad. So, again, look, a president has a certain authority as a president. Well, this is interesting. But it has to be statutory in nature. It has to be drawn from the statute. Where is the statute that says that the president can ignore the requirements of the law for a timely decision by the State Department on the Keystone XL pipeline? Let me give you another example. He's done this each and every year. We'll see if he does it again this spring. Every March and April, the actuaries of Medicare produce a report. And by law, since 1965, the requirement is if they forecast that Medicare is going to have financial problems within a 15-year window, the president is required to present to the Congress a plan to bring it back into conformity uh, to, to fiscal health. President Obama has ignored this requirement in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and 13. All right. Well, let me, okay. Now, let me go back to the numbers. Um, President Bill Clinton, incidentally, at this stage in his uh, two terms, 238 times executive orders to 167 to President Obama. But it's not necessarily number, but what, but it's actually the, what you, it's, it's, it's what you do. Subject what, and, it's subject and where, where is the president declaring that authority is, is derived? Are, are you saying that the president is exceeding his constitutional authority, or are you saying you just don't like what he's doing? I think he's, he's, he's violating the law. He's exceeded his constitutional authority. Look, it's not only executive orders. That's only one 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 standard here. He didn't issue an executive order to waive the employer mandate for a year. In July of 2013, they said, we're going to delay, unilaterally delay the requirement for the, uh, and it was done by a rule out of, out of uh, Department of Health and Human Services. So look, it's not just, a, a president does have executive authority, but their executive orders have to have a statutory base. And the president's doing things that are against his own, uh, the, the laws that he trumpets. Let me ask you about uh, one other one other issue, Carl, and that's uh, the, about the Tea Party. First, the Tea Party had to take on the IRS. Now they're taking on the FBI. That's because the FBI will reportedly not file any criminal charges over the IRS targeting scandal. According to the Wall Street Journal, investigators did not find the kind of political bias or enemy hunting that would violate criminal law. The Tea Party, though, of course, is absolutely furious, and one leader will go on the record in just a few minutes. But first, back to Carl. Um, IRS, uh, not criminal, according to the FBI. Well, not according to the FBI. That's not accurate. What's interesting to me is read that story carefully. The FBI, first of all, does not have a habit of commenting on ongoing investigations. They just don't. And you'll notice in the Wall Street Journal piece, excellent piece of reporting, but it is law enforcement officials. They don't say officials at the Bureau. They don't say FBI agents, leaders of the FBI. They say law enforcement officials. That's broad enough to cover the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Department of Justice, the Department of Justice Criminal Division. So All right. I, I, uh, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and wrap that up ago, and get the back to the show. FBI, Comey said, <sighs> what do you think, folks? What do you think about that? The president, um, it's not the number of, it, of executive actions that the three presidents cited um, uh, put forth. It's what they were for. It's the reason for the executive action. Do you suppose that President Obama will sign, use his pen to say that, uh, to, to enact a law that says that all businesses must raise their minimum wage by $2? In an economy... That is to be charitable, stagnant. Would that not send us economically over the edge? Would that not cause massive layoffs across the country? $2 is a lot of money. $2 an hour is a lot of money. A dollar an hour is a lot of money. You don't pay people to work for you just because they're there. You give raises like that for people who are exemplary, who go, go above and beyond the call of duty. 
that's where that extra money comes in. You know, shortly before his death, the late Steve Jobs met with President Obama. He, he met with President Obama at a dinner in California where each guest was asked to come up with a question for the president. But as Steve Jobs of Apple spoke, President Obama interrupted with an inquiry of his own. His question was, what would it take to make iPhones in the United States? Not long ago now, Apple boasted that its products were made in America. Today, very few are. Almost all of the 70 million iPhones, 30 million iPads, and 59 million other products Apple sold last year were manufactured overseas. Why can't that work come home, Mr. Obama asked, stupidly. Mr. Jobs' reply was unambiguous. Quote, those jobs aren't coming back, end quote, he said. The president's question touched upon a central conviction at Apple. It isn't just that workers are cheaper abroad. Rather, Apple's executives believe the vast scale of overseas factories as well as the flexibility, diligence, and industrial skills of foreign workers have so outpaced their American counterparts that made in America is no longer a viable option for most Apple products. We have slipped so far, folks, due to workers who are simply disinterested or have no skill level to do their jobs, who expect to be paid just for showing up, who show very little incentive or ambition because they believe that this country owes them a debt simply for existing. That single exchange between President Obama and Steve Jobs summarizes the cumulative effect of the end of the victory culture. Not only is America resigned to losing, its captains of industry are willing to tell President Obama to his face that it is no longer possible to win. How America went from a country which uh, betrayed, uh, who, who, who betrayed the world in 1945 to what uh, one author called a post-Vietnam nation of extraordinary losers will puzzle historians like myself far into the future. Perhaps it can be summarized in one phrase. Think small and elect smaller. How do we become a culture of losers, folks? How did we become a culture of losers? We're now 13th on the economic scale. We used to be in the top 10. This clown we have as president, this loser, this inept fool, has brought this country nearly to its knees because he is inept. Ineptocracy. 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 It's an actual word. A system of government where the least capable to lead are elected by the least capable of producing, and where the members of society least likely to succeed, and where the least likely of society least likely to sustain themselves or succeed, are rewarded with goods and services paid for by the confiscated wealth of a diminished number of producers who told you all about it in 1957. Yeah, her name was Ayn Rand. This is what we've come to, folks. This is what electing the first black president of the United States of America, how proud we should be. How proud we should be as Americans that we have come so far that we have elected the first black president of the United States of America, bull you know what. How about electing the first black president of the United States who actually has a brain in his head 
and wants to do his job. How about electing the first president to actually get us out of the problems we're in without blaming somebody else, without blaming the weather, without blaming tsunamis, without blaming a previous president since Roosevelt? How about electing a president who will actually do his job? How about that? Who gives a damn that we elected the first black president of the United States? I certainly don't. Do you think I felt proud on election day? By the way, I'm black. Or as some folks like to title us, African-American, which makes no damn sense to me. Because when I was born, I was a Negro, and somewhere between being born and my 17th birthday, I became black. And somewhere between my 17th birthday and now, somebody decided that I'm no longer Negro or black, but now I'm African-American. Damn. I've been – I've got three ethnic titles in 52 years on this earth. But we won't get into that right now. We'll save that for another show. Damn. I mean, white folks can have been white or Caucasian for centuries. And I've been three different ethnic groups in 52 years. So who gives a damn? That dude is black. He sucks all to be damned. And who was it? Martin Luther King who said... Judge us not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. Dude's content of character is just abysmal. Ouch. Ineptocracy. (laughs) Someone in here uh, in the chat room, Cal Living, says... Uh, don't use the don't use the n word. <laughs> no, I'm not going to use the n word. Not now. Not not right now. But but any. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Oh yeah. No no no. I haven't forgotten black. I've been Negro. Let's see. I, I'm, my birth certificate says Negro. Okay, so I was Negro. Then sometime between 1962. And uh, the the day uh, the January 1962 to I think I, I was like 17 or 18, they switched us from 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 Negro to Black to African American. African American. If you've ever st- listened to me, uh, no, 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 I'm not even going to do that. But but I'll do that next time. But hey, you know what? I'm not proud. I was not proud on election day to see a black man elected to the presidency. Let me tell you why. Because I met the guy. I met dude on the south side of Chicago. His limp-wristed handshake turned me off right then and there. And he didn't even look me in the eye. Immediately, I judged him to be a candy ass. Immediately. After all, I was still a United States Marine. I tell you what, I squeezed his hand for all it was worth, and I could swear to God I saw him wince. So I was not impressed at all. I thought there were better men out there. Black, white, purple, green, orange. A man from Mars. Better suited, better equipped, much better trained with much more gravitas than Barack Hussein Obama. So when he stepped to the podium, no, I did not feel any sense of pride at all because I was not looking at his skin color. I was looking at the fact that he sucked all to be damned in my home state of Illinois. As a state senator, he got to be the U.S. senator by having all of his opponents removed from the ballot until Alan Keyes was brought in as a, the, the, the ultimate Hail Mary desperation move 
Alan Keyes turned everybody off because he's crazy as a loon. That left the road easy for Barack Obama to win the Senate. He got two posts, the state Senate and the U.S. Senate by default. And that's the way it went down. There were no hard-fought elections to get into the state house and then into the U.S. Senate. He had everybody removed from the ballot on technicalities. And Ryan, Jerry Ryan's husband, the actress Jerry Ryan's husband, who was running against Obama for the, for the U.S. Senate, he was beating Obama until uh, documents that were sealed were miraculously unsealed. His divorce documents were miraculously unsealed and leaked to the press. The press got a hold of those documents stating that, you know, Jerry Ryan's husband was like kind of freaky and he wanted Jerry to, you know, do some weird things like wife swapping and all that. So now all that leaks to the press. Ryan has to drop out. Now I'm talking about I'm talking about sealed documents. Now now Ryan might have been a little freaky, but that's none of my business, right? Like it was none of our business that Bill Clinton was, you know, doing his thing. You know, liberals said that it's none of our business. Okay, well, it's none of my business that Ryan wanted to, you know, do some freaky things with his own wife. I don't have any problems with that. But it was leaked to the press, and it was all over after that. So Ryan had to drop out. Basically, Obama ran for the U.S. Senate unopposed. Ineptocracy is the word of the day. A system of government where the least capable to lead, folks, are elected by the least capable of producing. This is what's driving our country into ruin. It simply is. It, it simply is. And there's, 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 it's not, not going to be easy to get out of it either. It's not. I mean, for, for, for decades now, raised minimum wage. Uh, uh, I, I mean, why would anyone want to run their business here in the United States when they're producing goods? Remember when U.S. Steel made steel? Remember when cars were made and manufactured here in the United States, like American cars? I mean, seriously, folks, we're in a world of hurt, a world of hurt. And I don't know how we're ever going to get out of it. It's not going to be easy. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Perhaps one of the things that one of many people need to understand is that the truth needs to be said. I am sick and tired of this class warfare, this Marxist demagogic rhetoric that is coming from the President of the United States of America. I'm not going to back away from telling what the truth is. I think that when you look at what a community organizer is turning out to be, it does seem to be like a low-level socialist agitator. And who are those folks who love that? Those folks are liberal. I mean, damn liberal. They're kissing both cheeks of Barack Obama's ass. But we cannot afford $1 trillion worth of tax cuts for every millionaire and billionaire in our society. We can't afford it. Some will argue we should not even consider ever, ever raising taxes, even if only on the wealthiest of Tax breaks for millionaires and billionaires. Tax break for corporate jet owners. Corporate jet owners. Corporate jet owners. Millionaires and billionaires. Corporate jet owners. Millionaires and billionaires. Millionaires and billionaires. Millionaires and billionaires. 
Chapter 5, Opportunity. One thing about being a U.S. Senator, you fly a lot. I fly on a private jet. The pilots hung up my coat, offered me my choice of newspapers, and asked me if I was comfortable. I was. Private jet. Private jet. Truth needs to be said. The truth is never, ever mean. All right, welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Obama principles and the breakdown of the family. An article written in The American Thinker by Laura B. Reagan. It goes like this. Last week, the Wall Street Journal remembered a fallen Marine known as the Lion of Fallujah. The historic Major Douglas A. Zimbach kept a notebook compiling various actions and thoughts, one of which was read at his 2007 memorial service, as it was emblematic of the way in which he lived his life. A few of those go like this. Be a man of principle. Fight for what you believe in. Keep your word. Live with integrity. Be brave. Believe in something bigger than yourself. Serve your country. Teach. Mentor. Give something back to society. Lead from the front. Conquer your fears. Be a good friend. Be humble. And be self-confident. Appreciate your friends and family. Be a leader and not a follower. Be valorous on the field of battle and take responsibility for your actions. Zimbach entitled his creed, Principles, My Father Taught Me. As I read these words, I, I thought of the president. Not because these words depict a man, the man occupying the White House, but because none of these virtues can be associated with Barack Obama. And I wondered whether being raised without a father without a father nearby to instill strong values and serve as a positive example, produced an unprincipled man who has set out to transform America. Much has been written about Obama's past and what factors led to his anti-American values. Dinesh D'Souza has produced a, a books and a movie explaining the negative influences on Obama's psyche including his Kenyan father's absence. But one would think that overcoming hardships as he, would, as, as he has would have left Obama with some humility that the grave responsibilities associated with the presidency include setting an example for all Americans, not just those he deems worthy of government handouts, living in a promise zones or in promise zones let's take a moment and look at at the example that Obama has set for young Americans with hopes and dreams of making it big immigrants who have traversed great distances and entered great hardships in order to succeed in a land of opportunity and even politicians and media personalities Obama has bowed hugged and whispered sweet nothings to dictators dissed and belittled american uh, dissed and belittled america and its citizens in far off lands and lied to the electorate about everything from his national security policies to the future of their health care he used chicago style mobster tactics to silence his critics and throw lifelong friends and colleagues under the proverbial bus when Ever politically expedient. He's, he's used the White House and Air Force One as his private, his own private playgrounds, hosting concerts and parties, attending fundraisers, and playing 160 rounds of golf and untold numbers of basketball games, all with the rich and famous. 
he has stoked racial tensions, denouncing anyone with white skin who has a conflict with a black person, while playing the race card at every ill-opportunity moment possible. He has denounced and over-regulated every major job-producing industry from automobile and coal to finance and health care. He has ignored the constitutional limitations of office and abused his power like a third-world dictator. And he's put our warriors in harm's way in a war he has no intention of winning. Obama is teaching generations of America... Generations of America, American citizens, that laziness and self-entitlement are virtues. Success and wealth are only acceptable when the hands, in the hands of powerful liberals. Starting a business is not worth the effort. Big government is the answer, and rich people are the root of all evil. He's teaching class resentment, racial hostility, and sexual disorientation while instigating instigating anti-American resentment across the globe dude has got to go he can't get out of here soon enough and head his ass back to Chicago or Kenya or Hawaii or wherever the hell he's from you got to go dude seriously pack, start packing your stuff can somebody please Throw the word impeachment out there every once in a while to just kind of give him pause. What Obama has not exemplified and taught the citizens is that America is, or at least was, a great nation because it was founded on Judeo-Christian values that led to its, its superior culture, power, military, economy, and education, and its healthcare system. Hope and change was misunderstood by an electorate who did not realize what transforming America really meant. But what Obama is really doing, folks, with the help of Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Maxine Waters, Charlie Rangel, and the entire MSNBC staff, is setting back black causes decades. There's no need to go back to his ridiculous comments about the white cops arresting a black friend or or that Trayvon Martin could have been his son. The empirical evidence that his policies are failing his people, as Eric Holder likes to call them, How the hell do you get to be Attorney General of the United States of America, and you're not the Attorney General of all the people, but your people? Well, let me tell you something right now, Mr. Holder, you candy ass. I'm not one of your people, whatever the hell that means. But it's born out... In the unemployment. Black unemployment is twice that of white folks. But we have a black president that most black folks worship. Even though his being in office has not made their lives any better at all, tangibly. I guess it's just the symbol of having a a brown face who doesn't speak with a Negro dialect, as Harry Reid once said. Or was it... uh, that clown vice president of his. I forgot. I guess having a brown skin in the highest office in the land, somehow that's going to put food on the table. You know, bread, butter, cheese, milk. I guess it will in the form of food stamps, welfare. If you can survive on that. Your crime rate. of black men and 40% of white men have been arrested by the age of 23. And it's disproportionately high for blacks. Under Obama's watch, my friend. But, But make no mistake, Obama's legacy will not be just felt by black Americans. 
Under Obama, a record number of, er- of, of Americans received food stamps. And the poverty level has broken a 50-year record with approximately 50 million Americans living below the poverty level. This is our president, my friends. This is what Obama has wrought. Judge not the content, the color of a man's skin, but the content of his character. So many black folks love this guy. And whites. Because he's black. Damn. I guess those words uttered by Martin Luther King don't mean a damn thing. Like I said, Obama's legacy will not just be felt by blacks. 50 million people living below the poverty line. One of the leading causes of Poverty and increased crime rate can be attributed to the fact that over 40% of the children born in the United States of America are born to unwed mothers. As Robert Rector of the Heritage Foundation wrote, see if I can get to it right here. The collapse of marriage in low-income communities has played a substantial role in the declining capacity for self-support. In 1963, 6% of American children were born out of wedlock. Today, the number stands at 41%. As benefits swelled, welfare increasingly served uh, as a substitute for breadwinning husbands and income. According to the Heritage Foundation's analysis, children raised in the growing number of single-parent homes are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children reared by married parents of the same educational level. Children who grew up without a father in the home are also more likely to suffer from a broad array uh, array of social and behavioral problems. The consequences continue into adulthood. Children raised by single parents are three times more likely to end up in jail and 50 times more likely to be poor as adults. Let me talk to you for a moment, folks, before we get out of here. Back when I was young, if you did not have a dad in the house, if you were born out of wedlock, you were called, wait for it, a bastard, a bastard child. And you were made fun of because your dad, you didn't have no daddy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 the children without parents would go to the baseball games. And there would be no daddy there. And I'm not saying it's right, but, you know, we feel sorry for them because they have no daddy. It was frowned upon to be married, to, to have a child, for a woman to be pregnant, walking around with no husband. You're pregnant? Well, where's your husband? Oh, the woman would be, she would be like distraught. She would be like, oh, I don't, I don't, I, I, and, and it would, it was, it was, a, it was a source of embarrassment, right or wrong. And that caused women to, one, make a strong effort not to get pregnant unless they were married or the other solution, abortion. But nowadays... It's cool to be a single parent because, you know what, if you can't afford it, you can always go to the government and they'll help you out. So you can make as many babies as you want now, and you don't have to have a man around. He only, his only job has to be to provide uh, his services in the effort to produce the child. Other than that, you're good to go. You can make... As many babies as you want, black or white, doesn't make a damn difference. Octo Mom made a whole bunch of them. No man around, no man in sight. And now I think she's going to spend a little time in the pokey for uh, welfare fraud. There's a breakdown in the family in this country, folks, and Obama remains silent. On an issue in which Obama could easily lead from the front... He is once again not leading at all. But he doesn't have a single problem talking about income 
inequality and giving everyone a fair shot. How is having uh, and uh, providing welfare, providing funds for women who increase their people producing productivity every year, how does that help? How do you get a fair shot that way? It's amazing. Obama should take to the airwaves and denounce anyone who participates in a knockout game and specifically call out the black community responsible for its prevalence. He doesn't talk about that. When not on vacation, Michelle should venture into low-income area, income areas and explain to young people how hard work pays off and that there are no free rides. But she won't do that. What does Obama speak of constantly and more recently? Inequality and wealth redistribution. With a touch of race baiting for good measure. Michelle Obama spends her time in her vegetable garden dictating to American youth what they may eat and to, quote, get moving, end quote. While obesity is a problem, it's not what, leading, what, what is leading to America's decline. The destruction of the family most certainly is a contributing factor. What do you think about that? It's time for us to get up out of here. I want to thank you all for listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones, Jones Situation Report tonight. There's so many things you could be doing with your time, and you chose to come into my show and spend some time with me tonight. I certainly do appreciate it. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We'll be back tomorrow. Good night, folks. <laughs>